Hello and welcome to the Real Life Law Podcast. I'm your host, Legia Miller, a real-life lawyer on a mission to demystify the law and how it affects your everyday life. Every Monday and Friday, I live stream over on my YouTube channel, and then I convert that into a podcast for you, because I get that you're a busy person on the go. We cover pop culture and current events and the laws that shape your everyday life. So thank you so much for joining. If you find this podcast informational or entertaining, please consider giving it a review. Every review helps this podcast grow and is greatly appreciated. Now on with the content. Scarlett Johansson just settled with Disney over the release of Black Widow for $40 million. Meanwhile, Disney is suing the estates of deceased Marvel writers like Steve Ditko, as well as Lawrence Lieber, an illustrator for Marvel and the brother of Stan Lee, over copyrights to Black Widow and many other Marvel characters that have earned them billions of dollars in revenue. So what? What does this all even mean? Let's jump in. If you're new here, my name is Lija. I'm a real-life lawyer on a mission to demystify the law and how it affects your everyday life. That being said, I might be a lawyer, but I'm not your lawyer. Nothing that I say should ever be construed as legal advice, and you should always seek the advice of a licensed attorney before making any legal decisions. All right? A reminder that Super Chats and Super Stickers are enabled, um, though I do respect your time, so I'm going to jump right in. So keep your comments, or um, your questions at least, until the end. Um... I did want to plug one little thing. I just signed up to have YouTube membership coming soon. You'll be able to join my YouTube channel as a member and will come with extra exciting emotes and other little perks. It's just going to be a one flat fee. I also have a Patreon where there are tiers and there are more behind the scenes content and live streams that are private to my Patreons and stuff. That's remaining special there. But if you join on Facebook, you'll get special emotes and some other extra special content and a little symbol by your name in the chat and other fun things. So that is coming soon. Keep an eye out. <clears throat> all right. For now, let's talk Disney. All right. How many of you are uh, Disney adults? <laughs> I am not one, but I respect that. I respect the hustle. All right. So let's start with Scarlett Johansson. Uh, I've linked the original lawsuit that she filed against Disney down below. It was brought on her behalf by Periwinkle Entertainment, um, which is described in the complaint as the loan-out company through which ScarJo provided her acting services. So I imagine it's like a management company, though I am not particularly familiar with the inner workings of Hollywood. So please comment below if you're familiar. So the complaint is pretty straightforward, uh, which is honestly why I haven't made a video about this yet, despite many requests for one. There's frankly just not much to it. There are two claims, intentional interference with contractual relations and inducing breach of contract. The complaint is claiming in a nutshell that when Disney released Black Widow on the Disney Plus platform at the same time that it released in theaters, which I'll remind you happened in the midst of the global pandemic, uh, she's claiming that they breached their contract with Johansson and it cost her millions of dollars in potential income that she would have earned from a box office only release because she didn't make money off the Disney plus memberships gained from the release of the film and the box office numbers were lower. She's claiming at least because of the offer of streaming the movie on Disney plus instead. Thank you so much Fork McSpoon for the super chat. Uh, the really, the, they really emphasize in, in this complaint the amount of time and energy she put into preparing, Johansson put into preparing for her role as Black Widow. They go into detail about her character, um, which frankly I love when lawyers have to lawyer speak their way through goofy shit like this in complaints. Let me just show you. Um, I'm going to take my webcam off so you can see the full thing. 
in the in the complaint they say whereas for example captain america obtained extraordinary strength and athleticism from an experimental super soldier serum and thor is the god of thunder who fights with a hammer forged by dwarves in the heart of a dying star black widow relies solely upon her wits and her extraordinary skills including expertise in hand-to-hand -hand combat Ms. Johansson accordingly prepared for the role with months of strength training as well as extensive training in stunts, hand-to-hand -hand combat, and weapons combat. Which is impressive. It's impressive. Listen. It's impressive. However, <laughs> uh, I just like to think about um, the sad sack associate who had to look into the background of how Thor's hammer was made and then draft that into this complaint for some hotshot partner. It, it just makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. Anyway, the central issue is the language in her contract, uh, which Disney, with Disney, her contract with Disney that says when the movie is, well, okay, step back. It's a contract with Marvel, but they're suing Disney saying that Disney interfered. So the central issue is the language in her contract with Marvel that says that when the movie is released, it will be a wide theatrical release. Those are the exact words of at least 1500 screens, movie screens. Uh, those are the words in the contract, wide theatrical release. And they claim that at the time the contract was entered, which was 2017, when the COVID pandemic was just a twinkle in our eyes, that the words wide theatrical release were commonly known to mean an exclusive theatrical release. And it did not give leeway for other types of releases like straight to video or straight to streaming. Um, the agreement also said that Johansson would have a full consultation with Marvel as to the release pattern of the film prior to its release, which the complaint claims never happened. So they go on to say that this language was material to the contract, meaning that it makes up an important part of the contract. It's not immaterial. It's not unimportant because she was supposed to receive deferred compensation based on box office revenue, which was lower as a direct result of Disney's actions. Then apparently after Disney announced the impending release of Disney plus, which happened after this agreement was signed, but before the movie was released. So they were like, hey, we have this new streaming service. We're gonna call it Disney Plus. We're gonna have original content on there, but we're also gonna, we're gonna release some movies at the same time on Disney Plus as they go to theaters. So that happened and Johansson's people reached out to Disney to be like, hey, like you said you're gonna release some films straight to Disney Plus, but like you're not gonna do that with Black Widow, right? And the representative from Disney emailed back a very definitive email that they most definitely were not going to do that. Um, and they said, we totally understand that Scarlett's willingness to do the film and her whole deal is based on the premise that the film will, would be widely theatrically released like our other pictures. We understand that should the plan change, we would need to discuss this with you and come to an understanding as the deal is based on a series of very large box office bonuses. Uh, that's a little damning. It's a little damning. <clears throat> so I do wonder about the inner workings of Disney. Like if they knew about this email uh, or that, or if they knew that they were breaching the contract and we're like, eh, worth it. I assume. Yes. I'd imagine they have a pretty robust internal legal team that would have been like, pardon me, this doesn't fly with the contract that we signed with her. Cause that's the whole job of legal teams is to caution business people when they're making business decisions. So it must've been a business decision that they made that where they determined that it was still more financially beneficial for them to breach the contract and pay her off if she sued than it would be to try to comply with the contract and do just a theatrical release. 
This is just a guess, I don't know. I wasn't in the room, but that's what I'm assuming. And that's what's wild about contracting, especially with huge companies like this. It can and is sometimes a smarter business decision for them to not honor their contracts and await litigation than to follow through with their agreements. So as far as damages go, they're saying in the complaint that the release on Disney Plus hurt box office sales because many people didn't go to the box office and instead bought the single $30 pass to see the movie or decided to just wait, wait it out till it's available on streaming just regularly on Disney Plus. Uh, the complaint also emphasized the importance of repeat moviegoers who would spend, you know, money time and again to go back to the theater and watch it and now they won't because they could buy that $30 pass as a one-time purchase and then rewatch it as much as they want for that one price. Um, they're also claim they also claimed that the move was simply a ploy to get more people to join Disney Plus, thinking that if they if you have to join Disney Plus to get access to Black Widow without having to go to the theater in the midst of a pandemic, then it'll get more people to join Disney Plus, which she did not benefit from. But she was at the same time still obligated to continue promoting the release of this film, thereby promoting Disney Plus at no extra cost to Disney. At least that's allegedly. Anyway, I, I totally see both sides. Like Disney was trying to navigate theatrical releases during a global pandemic where theaters literally weren't open. But Johansson done, had done like seven prior films, six or seven with Marvel, and had a certain expectation as to how things would go. And she was stuck promoting this film in this global pandemic, knowing that her compensation was going to be considerably less than she anticipated when she entered the contract. Do I feel particularly sorry for a multi-billion dollar company and an actress whose net worth I frankly don't even want to know after seven Marvel movies? No. No, I do not. But I get it. She was reportedly paid $20 million up front just to be in this film, though. So, yeah. Anyway, so the agreement Johansson signed was technically with Marvel, as I said, which is owned by Disney. So the claim is for interference of contractual relations because they claim that Disney forced Marvel's hand and ultimately called the shots as to the release date and the circumstances of the release, thereby interfering with the contract that Johansson had signed with Marvel. Um, and so Disney is at fault, not Marvel, which was a smart move because if they had sued Marvel directly, Marvel probably pretty easily could have gotten out of that lawsuit by saying like, nah, it was Disney. We, we were forced, we didn't make this choice. Um, so they say in the complaint that Disney intentionally interfered with the contractual relationship and that they willfully disregarded Johansson's rights, which is, I think, the point that they would have had the hardest time proving in court because they were asking for punitive damages, like damages above and beyond what she suffered in order to punish Disney for their actions, and that is rarely granted in contract law. Um, the complaint also claims that Disney induced Marvel to breach the contract, which is a separate claim, but it's largely similar and overlapping to the intentional interference claim. And the complaint didn't ask for a specific amount of money in damages from Disney. Um, they just said that it would be proved at trial. So the movie came out in May 2021. The lawsuit was filed in July 2021. After it was filed, Disney responded by saying that, that Johansson was being careless about the pandemic and that the lawsuit was filed in callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, which like, okay, calm down, Disney. You would cough in a crowded room if you thought it would be the most profitable option, Disney. All right. Now, a few days ago, the parties did settle. They have settled out of court for a reported $40 million dollars. So she made $60 million in total from one film. 
But like she did a lot of workouts beforehand. So, you know, she worked really hard on it. She apparently expected to make around $50 million um, from box office income. So she, she made 40, she expected 50. So like she got pretty much what she expected almost minus 10 million, which is a lot of money, but not when you're looking at these kinds of numbers. So she, she did fine. The film, despite a global pandemic, still managed to gross $378 million worldwide. So like they're both fine. Uh, and they both released statements saying that they're so happy to have resolved the matter and they look forward to continuing their relationship in the future. Which, you know, if I was making that much money off of that kind of a relationship, so would I. So, good for them. All right, so that's the, that's the Johansson, ScarJo, Disney lawsuit. Let's move on to the Marvel copyright lawsuit. So this one gets into a little bit more of the weeds of copyright law. I am an IP attorney, so I do like this stuff. Um, so this all started this past spring when the estates and heirs of the original Marvel writers and illustrators, and there's a number of them. We've got uh, Steve Ditko, uh, let's see, Don Heck, Don Rico, Gene Colan, um, as well as the currently still living writer and illustrator Lawrence Lieber, the brother of Stan Lee. Yeah, so they all served Disney with a notice that they were terminating Disney's right to the copyrights in many huge Marvel characters and their underlying stories, which includes Spider-Man, Iron Man, Black Widow, Thor, like big money-making characters and storylines. They were saying, nope, we are taking these rights back and we now own them. Um, so Disney has now sued in order to, oops, let's bring that pup cam in because she is being absolutely adorable this morning. That is the noise you're hearing in the background. My sweet, sweet angel Moira snoring. Um, so Disney now sued because again, these families, they sent letters to Disney saying, we're taking these back. So Disney has sued in order to bring the issue before a judge and ask the judge to rule that the termination notices that the family sent to them were not valid. Okay, so in order to understand what's going on, we have to talk about something called termination rights under U.S. copyright law. This applies where an author has made or written something and then granted a transfer of the copyright in that thing over to some other person or entity. So the author made a comic and they transferred the right over to Marvel and said, you now own all the copyrights in this. It's not a license. It's not like I retain this and you were allowed to use it. They gave all their rights to Marvel. This termination rights allows them to then say, nope, I'm taking it back. The right allows them to regain ownership over the copyrights after 35 years have passed. So I gave you this right 35 years ago, but I'm taking it back now. All right, so this it comes from uh, 17 USC 203, which is part of the Copyright Act, which says that in the case of any work, other than a work made for hire, the exclusive or non-exclusive grant of a transfer or license of copyright or of any right under copyright executed by the author on or after January 1st, 1978, otherwise then by will, is subject to termination under the following conditions. And then there's a list, but for our purposes, they also note that termination of the grant may be effected at any time during a period of five years beginning at the end of 35 years from the date of execution of the grant. Blah, blah, blah. Basically... After 35 years, the original author or the estate or descendants, if they died, which is the case in this case, have five years. So 35 years has passed. They have a five-year window during which they can reclaim their rights in the work. Unless 
unless, and this is a big unless, unless the work is a work made for hire, which is a technical term in copyright law. Works made for hire are this sticky area of copyright law because when you hire someone to make something for you, the ownership of the thing that they've made, the image, the story, whatever, it becomes murky. Typically, unless there's a signed contract that says this is a work made for hire, the original author, the person that was hired to make the thing, they retain the copyright and then they just grant a license for use to the person who asked them to make them, make it. For example, if you were to go to Fiverr, Fiverr.com, ever heard of it? It's a freelancing site where artists go and other people. If you were to go to Fiverr and hire a graphic designer to make you a sick new logo, unless you executed a contract that says, I now own the copyright in this logo and you have absolutely no rights to it, you author, you have absolutely no rights, unless you sign that contract, then the artist would re remain the copyright owner and they would grant you a license to use it for your own purposes, but you would not own the copyright. And this can be important because what if the author uh, or the artist of that logo then gives the logo to someone else because they're still a copyright owner. Now you have a problem, all right? Here it's insanely important because like I just said, a single Black Widow movie made Disney $388 million. So these copyrights in particular are extremely valuable. This is why I love IP law, because words on a page or a drawing can seem really basic or innocuous, but it becomes a huge deal when you start thinking about ownership rights and value. Anyway, so there is a lot of gray area as to what is or is not a work made for hire, and it often has to go to, before a judge to determine is this or is this not a work made for hire. If someone is an employee, like a, I show up every day, you pay me a monthly or bi-monthly wage, I am an employee, you send me a W-2 at the end of the year. If someone is an employee, when the work is created and it's created as part of their employment, um, then it's pretty easy to determine. Usually it's always solely owned by the company. It is a work made for hire. Um, it's, there's not a ton of gray area there. However, it gets really murky when the work is made by a contract employee, by a freelancer, which is apparently how all of these authors operated for Marvel back in the day. But Disney is arguing that everything that they authored was at the request and expense of Marvel, which is now owned by Disney, making all of these characters and their stories a work made for hire, meaning that the rights cannot be terminated under this termination rights provision of the copyright law. Because remember it said you can terminate the rights that you've given after 35 years unless it's a work made for hire, in which case you cannot. So they're saying this was all a work made for hire. So the families of these authors that are now sending us this termination notice, it's invalid because it's a work made for hire. So they can't take it back. We own it. All right. So that's currently pending. We'll see, we'll see about the outcome. Those, those lawsuits were just filed, but Disney is no stranger to this type of legal battle, Marvel specifically. From 2009 to 2013, they were in a legal battle with the family and estate of Jack Kirby, who created Hulk and aspects of Captain America and X-Men. There, both the district court and the court of appeals sided with Marvel, saying that the works were indeed works made for hire at the instance and expense of Marvel, meaning that the rights could not be reclaimed by the estate of Jack Kirby. Warner Brothers had a similar legal battle over rights to Superman, and ultimately uh, Warner Brothers won that as well and retained its ownership of Superman. So the issue here is the way that Marvel has apparently always operated. Uh, they call it the Marvel method, 
at least that's what they claim. They claim they have this extremely collaborative relationship with authors. That it's not just the author showing up, doing a thing, creating something, then saying, here's this independent thing that I created. They work closely with authors and they're making the argument that the authors were um, not just hired freelancers that were completely separate from Marvel. Okay, so they, when they claim that, it makes it a really hard argument to say that this is work, this was not a work made for hire. Because they're saying like, no, we worked really closely in collaboration. The contribution came from Marvel and from the authors and we're all working together and it's all intermingled and gray and mixed and so we have to own it. It's not clearly a work made for hire. We asked for it and we paid for it and so we are the owner of it. And so far that method seems to be working for them, claiming that. All right, so... What do you think? I mean, it's really, it's, it's, up, it's up to the judge at this point to make that determination. We'll have to wait for the judge to decide, but should the artists or their descendants retain ownership of creations like our Iron Man and Spider-Man? Likely, if the families did somehow win, they would still give Disney and Marvel a license to use the characters and stories. They would just then receive royalties for the use of the characters, which would mean a pretty penny for these authors and their estates and families. So it would make sense, it would behoove them to uh, allow Disney and Marvel to continue having rights, a license to use these characters. It just would mean that they would actually be making some money off of it. What do you think? That's it, those are the stories. That's what's going on with Disney right now. Let me know if you have questions. I know this was kind of a, a convoluted subject. What are your questions? Comment, comment now in the chat or down below if you're watching afterwards. Um, while you gather your thoughts, I'm going to give a little shout out to my Patreon supporters. Yes, I have a Patreon, like I mentioned before. Give you behind the scenes info and a peek at my life. I uh, send you fun messages. We have a whole Discord chat that's pretty active. Um, we do private live streams. We have a good time over there. It's a really, it's a lovely community. So link is in the description down below if you'd like to join. And a special shout out to some new patrons, William Wernicke, Dallas Ken, and Millennial Hissy Fit. Welcome. And thank you as always to my multi-platinum patrons, Brett Piontek and Anonymous, you know who you are. Thank you so, so much for your support. Um, also, one other exciting thing I wanted to note quickly, per requ as requested by a couple people, um, I have started now to turn my live stream audio into a podcast. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's called Real Life Law with Elijah Miller. Um, it is literally just the audio of these live streams, but I get that you are a busy person on the go and maybe you wanna just listen while you're driving into work. Um, maybe you've got better things to do than sit and watch a video for half an hour or 45 minutes or however long these tend to go. Now you can, all right? Link is in the description down below. You're welcome. Okay, uh, let's, let's get into some questions if you have any. Interesting, okay. How does it work if a judge give the right, gives the rights back, but what if Disney has the characters trademarked? You know, I should have looked at whether or not, do they have the characters trademarked? Do we know that? So the way that, so trademarks are used to delineate a brand. So if they, so that would mean that they would continue to be able to um, like use the word, cap, the 
phrase Captain America and maybe the shield as like a logo on an action figure or something. Um, so they could sell things with it still. Um, and it's, it's a, they would have to work something out probably with the families as to the copyright in it. Um, because if the, if they, if the families own the copyright to like the image of Thor or the image of Captain America and that image of Captain America is being used as a logo, um, then maybe the word Captain America, they don't, you can't have a copyright to, um, you can't have a copyright to a phrase Captain America like that. You can't have a copyright to something short like that. So they wouldn't have the copyright in the words Captain America. So Disney owning the trademark to Captain America, the words, is fine, separate, if they do own that. They own the copyright to the image, the idea of Captain America, the words, the, the, the drawings, and the, the actual underlying storyline that was written by these authors. That's the copyrighted issue here. But a trademark would be... The, the words Captain America or maybe the shield or any sort of logos or things that Disney is using to sell stuff, um, which like I said, if it's a, it's the body of Thor and it was drawn by the, the one of these families and their, or their create the authors in, in these families, then they might be able to make a claim for some sort of payment or royalty. Maybe. Does that make sense? So they wouldn't necessarily have any control over the, the trademark aspect. Um, let's see. Tommy, thank you for the super chat. Uh, what happens when Disney becomes public domain? Yeah, Disney has, Disney has spent a lot of money, a lot of money in Congress figuring out how to um, prolong copyright protections because they have a lot of, they have a lot of cash, so they have a lot of leeway. So Again, the word Disney is not protected by copyright. Words aren't protected by copyright. The word Disney is protected as a trademark, um, and that will never go away as long as they continue using the word Disney as their trademark, as their logo. So the word Disney will never enter the public domain. There are, however, movies like the very first Mickey Mouse. Anything that was created before 1924 is now part of the public domain. So I don't know when the first Disney came out, but if it came out, if there's any sort of Disney movie, short Mickey Mouse clip, you know, things like that, that came out before 1924, that just becomes part of the, the public domain. Like there's nothing they can, they can really do about that. Let's see. Um... I'm just reading through your comments. Thanks so much for being here and watching. Okay, so they are trademarked. The, the characters are trademarked. Um, Jungle Book is public domain. Oh, interesting. Many Disney movies already were public domain. I wonder if they released them into the public domain, or it could be that they became part of the public domain before the laws were changed. Let's see. What Won't the ScarJo lawsuit change protocol for future contracts with streaming services? I think it would be 
Um, I think it's probably going to influence how other actors and their management companies enter into contracts going forward. I think they will definitely start enter adding a clause or a paragraph or a provision as to streaming these types of releases. I think in 2017, it was such an, like it was such an expected thing that a movie would just go to theaters first, especially a huge movie like a Marvel movie that it like wasn't even on their radar to have a, a something, a clause in the contract related to that, but certainly going forward. And I'd imagine pretty much any contract that's been entered into since the pandemic, since this became a practice for these streaming services to release these big movies, I'd imagine they all are, are like including a provision of some sort. Certainly. Hmm. All of Disney stuff is based off of old fairy tales. So if it's old enough, it's probably part of the public domain. So then they could take from it. And the way they rewrote it, they rewrote it. So they could say also that it's fair use, that they took it and they reworked it. And that it is so different from the original work. And they added, you know, uh, characters and drawings and everything. And they've, re they've remade it such that it's its own independent work. And it's fair use of the underlying stuff or it could be that the underlying fairy tales are actually part of the public domain um let me see thank you for all your comments do you foresee any legal issues in the trending digital fashion clothing every business has some sort of legal run-in thoughts thanks kyle for the super chat um digital fashion clothing you know i don't know a ton about it frankly but yeah, I mean, fashion fashion law is fascinating and there's always, especially design trademarks, which is a really like complex kind of weird area of trademark law, trademark design protections are a huge thing. Like, and it's, and it can be for little things like the, your sports bra straps are the same pattern as our sports bra straps. And we owned a design trademark or design patent for those things. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, probably, but I would have to look. I don't know much about the digital digital fashion clothing. Um, to find out more, though, about fashion law generally, um, there is a really great blog. It's called, I think it's called The, the Fashion Law, right? Yeah, thefashionlaw.com. So they talk about all sorts of lawsuits related to fashion and and you know trademarks and things like that in in the fashion world so i bet they've probably they've probably had some articles on that that i could certainly look into oh god it came out that disney was trying to copyright dia de los muertos yikes yeah here's the thing Ethics and, and, and trademarks and copyright laws. So they were probably trying to trademark Dia de los Muertos because they couldn't own the copyright in something that brief. Again, a copyright is in the, a creative work. You have rights to license the use of it, etc. A trademark is used for marketing purposes. It's like a logo or a slogan. It's something shorter. So it would likely that they were trying to trademark the word Dia de los Muertos. And trademarks and ethics are two uh, things that don't often, uh, aren't thought about together, or maybe brands don't care 
um, there's a, I made a video about a sex toy company brand trying to trademark the word NB, which is used by people to identify as non-binary, but they made a sex toy and called it NB and we're saying like, nope, we're the only ones that get to use this term. And so I, I go into de detail about how that all works and um, whether or not they can actually own that. So uh, check out that, that video, but yeah, it's ethics, ethics and trademarks. It's a really interesting thing to think about. Um, would avoidance of public domain be why Disney keeps remaking older movies? Could be. I'm not avoiding public domain. Like if the, once those movies get into the public domain, which again, it's anything before 1924. So there's still quite a bit of cutoffs still. Um, but yeah, I mean, they can't avoid public domain, but if they remake a movie, then it's like we, we can reuse this storyline, recycle it, and now have this other thing that we could be making money off of, even if this does go into the public domain. All right. Thank you. Welcome. Yes, we're here for the we're here for Moira snores always. Um. Yeah. Thank you for your support. Thank you for being here. Um, I think I'll wrap this up. This was a nice kind of shorter one today. I. I hope that you enjoyed this. Sorry, I'm just, I'm, I'm catching up on all your comments. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here um, and for allowing me to entertain you on your Monday morning. This has been fun. This was a nice, a nice lighthearted thing. Moira has been snoring away. Look at, oh my God, she's so perfect in her stupid little diaper. Oh, all right. I got to take her on a little walk. Um, thank you so much for your support and for being here and i will see you again soon on tuesday night that's tomorrow night i live stream over on my twitch that's right i have a twitch i play sims i play the sim version of myself going through the law career track we have a fun time over there link is in the description down below i'll be there tomorrow tuesday from 5 to 8 p.m central time i also do it thursdays 5 to 8 and saturdays noon to 3 Otherwise, edited videos are coming back. Yes, I know. I've been having a lot of fun with live streaming, but I know some people miss the edited videos and uh, I miss them too. So edited video will be back Wednesday morning, 9 a.m. I'm doing it premiere style. So it's not gonna be a live stream, but it'll premiere at 9 a.m. So like I'll be watching it with you. If you show up at 9 a.m., there'll be a chat. I'll be interacting and we'll be watching it together and it'll be really fun. Okay, but otherwise it's going to just be like a regular edited video. You can watch it whenever you want. So that's Wednesday and Friday. I'll be back with a live stream Friday morning. All right, that's the schedule, y'all. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe if you haven't already. If you've been lurking, if you've been watching my live streams where you haven't subscribed yet, this is your sign. Give a girl a little love, all right? Thank you so much. Okay, I hope you all have a great week. Happy Monday, and I'll, I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Real Life Law Podcast. As a reminder, I stream live over on my YouTube every Monday and Friday at 9 a.m. Central, and then I turn it into podcast audio for you because I get that you're a busy person on the go. If you found this podcast informational or entertaining, please consider leaving a review. Every review helps this podcast grow and is greatly appreciated. Thanks so much for listening. Bye bye